Good evening, everybody. All right, so glad to see a faithful few out today. And those that are streaming live, we're glad to get back into our time of, of studying the Word of God. I want to talk tonight uh, about memorials and metaphors in the Bible. Memorials and metaphors in the Bible. I think that uh, what gives the Bible seasoning is some of the stories that we've read and then some of the metaphors that are mentioned in the Bible. It's how to add flavor uh, to it and it allows us to recall uh, things uh, that we read or heard uh, from days gone by. Every now and then, I will flash back to a uh, time in Bessemer many, many, many years ago when I was in, uh, I was going to Sunday school at the 21st Street Baptist Church in Bessemer. And I remember some of those uh, things that were taught to our classes so tonight, I want to talk first about a memorial. What is a memorial? A memorial is, uh, the purpose of it is to preserve the memory of a person or a thing. That is the reason that it is set up in the first place, to preserve the memory of a person or a thing. Now, there are, let me give you some examples. Uh, examples of maybe uh, a monument or a statue, uh, I think, There are uh, many monuments and statues of, of individuals that have uh, done outstanding things. And there are also uh, some statues and monuments of people that have, uh, were not so good, but they, they seek to preserve the memory of that person or that thing. One of the highlights of uh, of my life it was when I got a chance to go to the city of Chicago. And while there, I was able to see the monument of the greatest player that ever played the game, the GOAT, Michael Jordan. And I took a picture by that statue. Also, we must remember that a uh, memorial is, can be a written record or a statement 
that is for to preserve the memory of a thing. We have other things such as uh, Memorial Day. There we go. Memorial Day is a national holiday that recognizes uh, deceased soldiers from the United States. We have a Memorial Park. And oftentimes, uh, they, these parks are maybe cemeteries that are dedicated for deceased soldiers or individuals in the United States. Well, the Bible, interestingly enough, also has some memorials. And their purpose is that you will remember that person or that thing that uh, was in that is written here in your Bible. What's, let's, let's give one. The first memorial that I want to talk about tonight. Go to your go to Genesis chapter nine. And let's look at verse again at verse 13. Genesis chapter 9, beginning at verse 13 and going through verse 17. 9, uh, 13. I do set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. And it shall come to pass that when I bring a cloud over the earth, that the bow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. The water shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh. And the bow shall be in the cloud. And I will look upon it that I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, this is a token of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is upon the earth. A memorial, the rainbow. The rainbow was a covenant that God, that he made with uh, with Noah, and he said that he would never destroy the world by flood again. This is a memorial, and it was, it's in, in the Bible for the purpose of remembering this thing, which is called a rainbow. Every now and then, we see a rainbow in the sky, and each time it is there to remind us of the covenant that God has made with, uh, with man and the earth. Well, what's another memorial? Let's go over to Exodus. Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12, beginning at verse 11. 11 through 14. Exodus chapter 12 beginning at verse 11. Okay, and thus shall ye eat it with your loins girded 
your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass, pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And this day shall be unto you for what? A memorial. And ye shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it in the feast by an ordinance forever. Here is the memorial of the Passover, the Passover. And it was to be remembered that salvation was only obtained through the blood of the lamb. The blood of the lamb saved sinners from judgment. And this is the first occurrence in the uh, Old Testament. We've seen the Passover. We've seen the rainbow as a memorial. Let's look in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy chapter 5. As we'll look at verses 12 through 15. Deuteronomy chapter 5. Keep the Sabbath day to sanctify it as the Lord thy God has commanded thee. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. And it shall, uh, thou shalt not do any work, thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, nor thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thine ox, nor thine ass, nor any of thy cattle, nor the stranger that is within thy gates, that the manservant and the maidservant may rest as well as thou. And remember that thou wast a servant in the land of Egypt, and that the Lord thy God brought thee stents through a mighty hand and by, uh, by a stretched out arm. Therefore, the Lord thy God commanded thee to keep the Sabbath day. Honor thy father and thy mother, as the Lord thy God has commanded thee, that they may be, days may be prolonged, and that they may go well with thee in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Here it is that through uh, verse 15, where I should have stopped, it was the Sabbath is a memorial. The Sabbath. It is a reminder both of two things. The Sabbath is a reminder of the completed creation as well as the completed salvation. Created, uh, created creation was in the Old Testament. In the beginning, God created, and the completed salvation was uh, the, the work that, that Jesus did on the cross uh, when he died and went to the tomb and the grave and was, was risen 
on the third day. So the Sabbath, now as we know it, we call it the Lord's Day. Uh, the Sabbath is a reminder of both created, uh, completed creation and completed salvation. Rainbow, Passover, the Sabbath. Now uh, go with me a little further to Joshua. In the book of Joshua, chapter 4. Joshua chapter 4, beginning at verse 4, and we'll read down to verse through the seventh verse. Then Joshua called the twelve men whom he had prepared of the children of Israel out of every tribe a man. And Joshua said unto them, Pass over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take you every man of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, that this may be a sign among you, that when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, what mean ye by these stones? Then you shall answer them that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. And when it passed over Jordan, the waters of Jordan were cut off. And these stones shall be for a memorial unto the children of Israel forever. This is another, another time in, uh, in the Bible where the Lord uh, uh, divided the water. He had already done so at the Red Sea for Moses. But here, this is a time when the children of Israel are under the leadership of Joshua because Moses has died. And Joshua is now the leader. And uh, Joshua had the responsibility of leading the children out of the wilderness and into the promised land. But in order to get to the promised land, they had to first cross over Jordan. And to cross over Jordan, God had given specific instructions about how to cross that river. And he told them to put the Ark of the Covenant in the forefront to lead the way and the waters would divide and they could walk across. But each tribal leader of the 12 tribes of Israel was to have a stone on their shoulder and place it down in the water, in the ground, as they passed across, uh, as they passed across to the other side, rather, to the other side of the Jordan, and build uh, with their stone a memorial with those stones, so that when their children came later on and wanted to know what were these stones put here for, you can tell them it was a time that the Lord brought you out of your wilderness and into his great promise. So we see now the 12 stones as a memorial in the Old Testament. Let's go backwards. Let's see if we can find another uh, memorial. Let's go to the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus chapter 16. The book of Exodus chapter 16. And begin at verse 31 through 35. 
It says, and the house of Israel called the name thereof manna. And it was like corinda seed, white. And the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. And Moses said, this is the thing which the Lord commandeth, fill an omer of it to be kept for generations, that they may see the bread wherewith I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you forth from the land of Egypt. And Moses said unto Aaron, take a pot and put an armor full of manna therein, and lay it upon, uh, up before the Lord to be kept for your generations. And the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron laid it up before the testimony to be kept. And the children of Israel did eat manna 40 years until they came into the land inhabited. They did eat manna until they came out of the borders of the land of Canaan. This was a, a memorial established because the children of Israel, when they wandered in the wilderness, had no provisions for themselves. They uh, did not have a, a freezer or refrigerator or anything to store, but God supplied them, listen, for 40 years, day by day, with what is called manna from heaven. Uh, we, it, there's sort of a description, but not a definition of what really is manna because nobody actually really knows. But it does say it was like, it was white, uh, and it had a taste like a wafer uh, made with honey. And that was the manna from uh, heaven that was given uh, daily, and which later on you'll find that uh, Jesus describes himself not as manna, but he does say, I am the bread of life, the bread of life. And so comes the, the song that we are so familiar with, bread of heaven, bread of heaven, feed me till I won't no more. Yeah. So, Imagine the Lord kept them safe from all hurt, harm, danger, sickness, and so forth and so on. He preserved them with uh, food from heaven, which is called manna, which is called manna. That is a memorial that should be kept. Now, we've covered quite a few in the Old Testament of memorials. We've seen the rainbow, seen the Passover, we see the Sabbath, we see the 12 stones, we see the manna. But let's skip and see what is a memorial in the New Testament. Let's go over to Luke, the New Testament, chapter uh, 22. Chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse number 19. And 20. Jesus did this. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I will say unto, I will say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God is, shall come. And he took the bread and gave thanks and break it. And gave unto them, saying, 
This is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Likewise, also the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. So a memorial here is the Lord's Supper, which, <clears throat> as you know, as believers, that we do on a regular basis. Uh, different churches have at different times, and there's no really no, no uh, stated time on which this should be observed, but he said as often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. It is, has uh, become sort of a tradition. A lot of uh, churches have uh, on first Sunday do this. Uh, simply because it was uh, commanded and demanded by Jesus Christ that we observe this. And he, he gave the, the illustration, he said the bread, he said the, the bread represents my body, which is being sacrificed uh, for you, and the, and the wine represents my blood, uh, which is for the, uh, the remission of your sin. According to scripture, it says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission or sin. Uh, so Jesus Christ used these, this terminology because they knew that uh, this would be a lasting memorial and a tradition that would follow for all uh, believers. It was the, the covering, if you remember in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and uh, Eve uh, had sinned before they sinned. Uh, they sinned. They didn't. They didn't consider themselves to be naked. But after sin came into the world, they considered themselves to be naked, and they covered themselves with fig leaves. Now the 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 shedding of blood, which has come from uh, uh, that the Lord required, began right there in Genesis because He told He removed the fig leaves and placed on them the skin or the uh, covering from uh, an innocent uh, from an innocent animal, uh, presumably, and that's where we come from to be from the know that we need the covering. Uh, the shedding of blood or uh, a sacrifice in order to cover uh, our sin. Uh, and so here it is that Jesus uh, instituted it and made it a forever tradition and a memorial by saying that the body, the bread represents his body and the wine represents his blood that is shed. And this tradition is being kept even until this day. As a matter of fact, a few days ago was just the first Sunday in the month of September before Labor Day, and we observed this tradition uh, on, on that day. So there we have many memorials that you have in the Bible. And as I said, they add, they add volume to, to, uh, to the Bible, and also they, they season it a lot so that we can get a better understanding of why we do some of the things of what we do and why uh, some things that occur that occur. And we, we know all about the rainbow, and so we know all now about the Lord's Supper. But there is a difference between memorials that are in the Bible 
And also there are metaphors in the Bible, and that's what we're going to shift to. Now, a few, a few weeks ago, uh, or months ago, I, I taught about uh, the Holy Spirit and the emblems of the Holy Spirit. And we recognize what an emblem was. An emblem is something that is used to represent something else. The emblem of the, of the, of the star on a Mercedes-Benz, when you see that star, you know that that's a Mercedes-Benz. The leaper, if you see a leaper, you know it's a jaguar. You know that because these are emblems. Now, the emblems of the Holy Spirit that we talked about months ago is when something is used to represent uh, something else. It serves as a symbol that represents. Now, and we talked about this as uh, the Holy Spirit being in, in several different ways uh, being uh, shown as a symbol. We talked about it as water. Water cleanses. Uh, the Holy Spirit uh, refreshes like water. We talked about it like uh, as an emblem was for fire. Fire is given to purify and fire also is to illuminate. We talked about it, the Holy Spirit like being the emblem of the wind, which is invisible but very, very powerful. Uh, we, then we talked about it as an emblem of being oil. The oil uh, of, uh, is used for the laying on of hands of, for healing, for comfort, for also for illuminating. But those were emblems which represented, uh, which represented what, that, uh, what the, the thing may be or what it is called. But here we're going to talk on a shift, we're going to talk about metaphors. And metaphors are significantly different than an emblem. A metaphor, if you remember from high school English, or years ago, is a figure of speech in which a term or a phrase is used to something that is not in order to suggest a resemblance. It's something that is not. So it is not the representation of the thing, because that would be an emblem. But it is if what that it is represented is not in order to suggest a resemblance. Now, let me put it another way. It is a figure of speech in which the subject is described by identification with something else. It is metaphor uses something to describe something else. An emblem represents what that item is. So there are many emblems, uh, many metaphors in the Bible. And I, I, I dare not try to do cover all of them. I just want to show you some of them that are cast in the New Testament, just a handful, maybe five or six that are there. And remember that it, a metaphor is different than an emblem. It is used to, on something that is not in order to suggest a resemblance to something. You know who was the master of use of metaphors and contrasts? Who was the master of the use of metaphors 
and contrasting. And you're gonna, you're gonna hear it, you're gonna remember when you think about it. Dr. Martin Luther King, he was the master of the use of uh, metaphors uh, in his speeches uh, and contrasting this with that uh, from the mountain and the molehill or so forth and so on. So the Bible also records, and especially Jesus, uh, records many metaphors, uh, in particularly in the book of John. So we're going to go there in the Gospel of John, and we're going to start there and go progressively through here and look at some of the metaphors that are in the, in the Bible. Go into the Gospel of John, chapter 6, And verse number 35, remember that a metaphor is a figure of speech. So here it is, Jesus says in the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verse 35. Uh, and Jesus said unto them, here is the metaphor. I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. I am the bread of life. Remember, we just, thought, we just spoke in terms about the manna which came from heaven. Here it is that Jesus uses as a metaphor to suggest that he is that manna that couldn't be described but was all sufficient for sustaining life. Another biblical metaphor from Jesus. John, just move forward a little bit, chapter number eight. Chapter eight. Verse 12, then Jesus spake again unto them, saying, I am the, the light of the world. He that followeth me shall never walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Jesus again used himself as a metaphor, suggested that he not only was life, but he also is light. John chapter 10, verse number 9. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. He says, I am the door. He said, I am the bread, I am the light, I am the door. Now notice that this, this, this door, like uh, if you want look over the pathways of, as you come in, uh, in, the, in the sanctuary here, you see signs that say exit. That's one, that's one way, that's going one way. But at the same time, that same door from the other side is an entrance. So it can be an entrance, our door can be an exit. But Jesus said, I am that door. 
Now you, you, you make the decision, you decide. You know, I, I, I really didn't, you know, but I, I, I know that, it's, like I said, a door, you can go either exit or entrance. I used to, I did not like that a term used in the airports when you're going and they sit up there and you're going to get on, on the plane and they say it's terminal. That's a bad choice of words. Terminal. Who wanna? <laughs> but anyway, anyway. That's how I thought about that. But anyway. Uh, John chapter 10, verse 14. He says, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. He says, I am the good shepherd. I am the bread of life, that I'm the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. One more, one more. Let's go. John chapter 15. And verse one, the metaphor, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my our father is a husbandman. Every branch that is in me beareth not fruit, uh, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purges, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. And no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. Look at this metaphor that Jesus used so beautifully. But does it not give great context and uh, uh, it, it allows uh, for uh, the Lord to release uh, to the reader and, to, and different people different way, interpret things different ways. And it, got, it, it, it provides so much power and so much passion in which he's explaining this. He's using it to refer to something, to something else. Now, he also says this, and this is, this, these were things that uh, the Lord, our God said, uh, Jesus said by himself, but he also says something that's mighty powerful concerning a believer. And it's found in Matthew chapter five, which is, as you know, chapters five, six, and seven are the ones that deal with his first recorded message known as the Sermon on the Mount. But he says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, and I think that many times that believers live beneath their privilege by not knowing who they are. But he says right in verse 13, chapter 5, ye are, that means you, ye, whenever you see ye, it means you, are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its savor, Wherewith shall it be salted? It is therefore that thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. Have you ever thought about or wondered about this? He said, you are. And then he goes further. He said, ye are the light of the world. 
A city that is set up on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So Jesus speaks of you in very, very favorable terms. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And they're speaking to believers, those that are under his watch and under his teaching. And this should give us a great confidence about who we are in the eyesight of the Lord. I wanted to ask the question. We've seen memorials and we've seen metaphors. Now, as I said, this cannot, uh, this is no way inclusive of all of the metaphors in the Bible. There are many, 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 many more. These are simply examples. But I wonder if I ask the question, what do you think is the greatest metaphor of all time? What do you think is the greatest metaphor of all time? I'm going to give you about 15, 20 seconds to think about it. And then if anybody has anything they want to say, we'll do it. If not, I'll, I'll reveal to you what I think it is. So think about it. What is the greatest metaphor of all time? You think it's the bread of life? That's what I'm just, anybody else? I am the way, the truth, and the light. God so loved the world and gave his only begotten son. No, that's not really a metaphor. That's one of the greatest scriptures of all time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hmm? The greatest metaphor of all time. Write it. They don't have to write it down. Psalms 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The greatest metaphor of all time. David describes himself as the sheep and the Lord as his shepherd. David understood what it meant to be a shepherd. And he is bragging on his shepherd as opposed to other shepherds. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want thy shepherd takes good care of me. He's making me to lie down in still waters. He leads me in green pastures. He leads me in the steps of righteousness. All of my shepherd takes care of me. It's world known. It's known all over the world. And that is the metaphor, the greatest metaphor. The Lord is my shepherd.
And the good part about it, I shall not want. The sheep, David actually said, he knows about being keeping sheep. You see, the ironic thing about, a, about sheep is they're so defenseless. They don't have strong teeth. They don't have sharp claws. They, they don't even look where they're going. They only eat what they only deal with what's right in front of them. The sheep are nearsighted. They can't see far. They have to be led. They have to be kept. They have to be, at certain times, have to be uh, sheared to receive, relieve the, the pressure of the weight that's on their back. Only the good shepherd knows the right time to shear the sheep. And even as a sheep, uh, sometimes uh, sheep uh, is known to uh, the call to restore. He said, he restores my soul. He, David knew what it took for a shepherd to restore the sheep. See, but a sheep can sometimes get overheated with all of the wool that is on its back. And sometimes they kick over, and they kick over, they end up, their feet in the air, their back against the ground. They can't get up. And that's what it means to restore the sheep. Because the shepherd knows what to do. When that sheep falls upside down, feet are in the air, he can't struggle and they can't get up. His, his tongue is going to the roof of his mouth. He's going to suffocate himself. But the shepherd, first thing he does is he comes beside the sheep and let them know that I'm there, I'm here. So he has to calm the sheep because otherwise it goes into panic mode and he, he rushes that which would, uh, what he does not want to happen to him, he, he enhances it because he panics. But the shepherd needs to there to get beside him and whisper, I'm here. Even though I haven't relieved your issue right now, I'm with you. And then he gently begins to shear the sheep to remove that heavy weight that is on him so that he can set him back up. But the sheep still, even with this wool that has fallen, cannot get up by himself. He needs the shepherd to help him and when he holds them, he picks them up, but he holds them up before he lets them go. He holds them and keeps them until he gets his balance, and then he allows the sheep to go on his way. And that's called restoring the sheep. And that's what God does for us. That's what Jesus does for us. Even in our worst trials, our tribulations, he comes beside us and lets us know that he's there, he's with us. And I'm going to remove your heavy burden. It might take a while for me to get it all done. But all while I'm doing it, I'm going to help you to stand, get up on your feet. But I'm not going to turn you loose until you're ready to move forward. The greatest <laughs> metaphor of all time, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I hope that this lesson has been a blessing to 
each and every one of you, and we look forward to next Wednesday where we will uh, discuss uh, many uh, other truths that we find in the Bible and uh, take this moment to share with you also a wonderful way to preserve a memory of a person or a thing. It's called the administrator. Shameless plug, Pastor. <laughs> to, <laughs> to, preserve, to preserve the memory of a person or a thing, my new book, The Administrator, is in, available. It's a life manual that provides you with the opportunity to decide how life precedes you. You can share your personal desires and leave a roadmap that your loved ones can follow to allow you the ability to determine your own destiny, your personal desires, and leave a roadmap that your loved ones can follow to allow you the ability to determine your destiny. You can get this uh, book uh, on our website, Dr. Gregory L. Clark with an E dot com. Dr. Gregory L. Clark with an E dot com. Go to our website and you can order directly from the website, 1995, and also you can go on Amazon and find it. I thank you for uh, that. I think it'll be a blessing for you in your life. Shall we pray? Lord, we thank you tonight for your word. We thank you for this time together and learning more about you, that your word is continuously a light into our path and a lamp to our feet. Bless every person that is present, and we pray your blessings on every hearer and viewer, that you will shower down blessings upon them. And we thank you for being our shepherd, and we shall not want. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.